I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator of The Last Symptom and your host. I appreciate you joining me this week. Last week, I made the perfect flapjack. It'll go down in infamy. As soon as I had this flapjack on the plate and all dressed up, I started taking pictures of her and sending them all around. I was as proud of that pancake as if it were a child that I had just given birth to. It was just the right size. It was perfectly golden around the edges and in the middle. You know, it was just had that slight crispiness to it. When I plopped a chunk of butter down on her, the butter began to melt and run all over the pancake, just like it was trying out for a television commercial. Do you know what sorghum is? Sorghum is kind of like syrup or honey, sweet molasses. I poured some sorghum over the flapjack and that too just enriched the color of the whole thing. Made the butter really stand out and uh, just made the whole thing look that much more picturesque. But none of these things are what will make this particular pancake go down in history. No, what will really make this pancake go down in history is that just days before, as I was getting my daughter ready for school, she goes to school on her computer. I asked her, she'd like me to make her anything for breakfast now at this point she only had about 15 minutes before she had to start school be sitting down in front of her computer and they don't really teacher doesn't really encourage eating food when class starts so when I asked her if she wanted me to prepare something for breakfast I had in mind maybe some toast you know I make I make good toast. I smear regular butter on it, and then I smear apple butter on top of the regular butter, regular lard butter. So I thought maybe toast or a breakfast bar or something simple and quick, you know. And that's when my daughter said, I wish I had pancakes, but you probably don't know how to make those. <laughs> you know what, uh, I thought when my daughter said that, wish I had pancakes, but you probably don't know how to make those. I thought, what in tarnation is my daughter's level of confidence in me to be able to rescue her from terrorists or keep her safe through World War Three or 
to protect her from Bigfoot out in the woods or to even explain why the sky's blue if she's questioning my ability to make something as simple as flapjacks I probably don't know how to make I can't believe she said that so a few days later I made this pancake that is now the pancake of envy of all other pancakes around the world and I made sure to get plenty of pictures of not just this flapjack but of my little girl enjoying eating this flapjack as evidence for the rest of all time that old dad knows how to make flapjacks by the way I used a, a just add water mix <laughs> but don't tell her because that still counts it still counts if you use the just add water mix to make your pancakes today we're going to be talking about a symbolic bowl of cereal first our announcements let's get those out of the way thelastsymptom.com that's my website full of free and paid resources please take advantage of that thelastsymptom.com uh, of course uh, I've been pushing our uh, online community pretty heavy here lately for good reason lots of good things happen there lots of good conversations we've got a really nice tight and wonderful crowd there uh, in our membership uh, that community is on the locals platform you can join by going to the last symptom dot locals l-o-c-a-l-s dot com or you can download the locals dot com app from the app store and search for the last symptom by brian barnett and related to that announcement i'd like to tell you that we're doing live streams exclusive to our community there on the last symptom locals group so we do live streams every monday and i try to do it at a time that is most convenient for you wherever you might be at in the world and it's been going real good so it's kind of like a superior episode of this show every week that only members of the locals community get exclusively because I'll tell you why it's superior it's superior because the nature of a live stream is superior in that you can interact with me live within the chat and you can ask me questions and I I respond and react to uh, directly and live to the questions and conversations that you folks want to have imagine that I'm talking along here right now and you think but, but wait a second he just said this but uh, that makes me wonder about this this other thing or, or I'm thinking of maybe a, an exception to what he just said well you could just tappity tappity and uh, question me on that and then I would I would address it live on the live stream. So that's happening every Monday exclusively on our locals community. Are you taking advantage of orange slices? Orange slices are daily condensed video thoughts and insights. Those orange slices are available on our locals group that I just got done telling you it's all about. They're available on YouTube. They're also available on Rumble. Let's talk about this figurative bowl of cereal that I mentioned earlier. We're going to use it to illustrate how the situation you're in now as an adult is not the same as when you were a child. You know, um, because we've always been ourselves, 
it is sometimes difficult for us, especially when we're unhealthy. I wouldn't say it's sometimes difficult when we're unhealthy. I'd say it is difficult when we're unhealthy. It's difficult when we're unhealthy to understand that realities that applied to us as children no longer apply to us. So talking about this figurative bowl of cereal will help us to understand how that is true in maybe ways that you haven't considered. There's a subtle and powerful wall that unhealthy people live with. Of course, the wall I'm talking about is not a physical wall, but rather it's a barrier in people's thinking, unhealthy people's thinking, that prevents them from progressing. The wall is denial, and denial takes on many different forms and takes on many different names, but it's all denial. And denial is something we've talked about many, many times, ain't it? But as many times as we've talked about denial, the subtle nature of denial, in most cases, I think prevents people from understanding it very intuitively. In fact, um, I'm just thinking about how many times that I've been talking about a thing. For example, cognitive dissonance. do you understand that cognitive dissonance is just denial? I don't think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people, when they're studying logical fallacies, think that these different names for different aspects of denial mean that they're a separate thing, but it's really not. Cognitive dissonance is just denial. Uh, it's just a form of denial. So that's what I mean. There's many different forms of denial many different ways that it manifests in unhealthy people. Bias. What is bias? Bias is denial. It's, you know, because what is denial? Denial is anytime we determine realities using our feelings. That's denial. Let me fix my camera here real quick. There's, I don't think my charger is charging my camera as we talk. So let me do that. All right, that ought to fix that. So, many different forms of denial. And, you know, denial is just one of those things. When I look out at the world, look at Twitter, look at uh, social media, we'd we, we be talking about this today. I mean, I just see it happening left and right of me all day long, everywhere. But now I want you to think of denial, any form of it, as a wall. It's a wall that unhealthy people live with. And remember what I said it, it, it is? It's a barrier in thinking. So it's a barrier in thinking that prevents an unhealthy person from progressing. When we begin down a journey of what hopefully is a journey of authentic recovery, we do so already living with an established understanding of the nature of everything in our life. Let's talk about this established understanding of everything in our life as quote-unquote the narrative. The narrative. It's a 
that is a term that you're going to start hearing me use a lot more often uh it's something i just gave a name to in the last week or so as i was thinking about having this discussion with you so the narrative remember what the narrative is it's an established understanding of the nature of everything in our life when we're unhealthy we're all living with an established narrative we're living with it not only about life but the nature of our relationships the nature of the players in our life or the actors in our life and our place in all that why is the term the narrative so appropriate here well let's ask this does the term narrative more likely describe truth or does it more likely describe a story arrived at emotionally I want to underline that myself when we talk about a thing being uh, part of the narrative are we more likely describing truth or are we more likely describing a story arrived at emotionally you see the narrative a narrative can be anything it's one person's preferred storytelling around any given thing right now surrounding the conflict between Ukraine and Russia there are multiple narratives now my point here bringing that up is not to side with any one narrative or to uh, throw my support behind any any particular narrative that's not the point of me bringing that up my point simply is that as I have made my observations I have observed that there are many narratives and I'll tell you quite honestly that I don't know which one to believe the reason I don't know which narrative narrative to believe is because the news organizations have all proven themselves to be completely unreliable and corrupt so no matter what they say I have to assume that their version of anything is corrupted by shady interests other than just telling the truth um, have you seen the video where they did a, a mashup of sponsored by Pfizer commercials on these news channels so on CNN, ABC, NBC all these different news channels so where everybody's getting their news during the pandemic the two years of the pandemic you can find videos where they do this mashup upon going to almost every commercial break you learn that um, that news program is being brought to you is being sponsored by Pfizer Pfizer is one of the major drug companies offering the uh, the the vaccinations against the uh, COVID right and anybody who would tell you who would watch something like that you know next time you're watching the news pay attention to the commercials uh, pay attention to to um, to the sponsors of that program 
And if you're getting your news about a, a, a worldwide pandemic from an organization that is sponsored by, in other words, their their money is coming from an organization that is benefiting from pushing the idea of vaccinations and making billions of dollars off the vaccinations. Anybody who would say that there's no conflict of interest there uh, is not being very intellectually or emotionally honest. But, you know, that's not my whole point of bringing this up. My point is to simply illustrate how that's the type of interest that I'm talking about, shady interests that compromises their their trustworthiness. And it's part of the reason why I don't know which narrative to believe on anything. You know, the, we started down this route because I said that the news organizations are so compromised and corrupt. So there's an example of it. But, you know, no matter what the news tells me, I have to assume that their version of anything is corrupt. It's corrupted. They're not just out to tell me the truth. They have other things motivating them more than the truth. Governments have proven themselves totally corrupt and dishonest. <laughs> right? It's uh, It kind of just goes hand in hand with government. Including the government governing the country that I live in. So, of course, that applies to Russia, too. And it's absurd to think that it doesn't also apply to Ukraine. So you see the catch-22. Who do you believe? Well, if every, if everybody and everything's corrupt, who do you believe? It's not that I just don't believe anything the government says or any government says. It's that I can't because... Uh, to do so would be contrary to common sense. I don't even listen to anything they say anymore. I can't because it just confuses me more. You know, if you don't know who to trust, and um, but but what you do know for sure is that you can't trust them. <laughs> then I can't listen to them. Even the biggest social media organizations have flaunted and continue to flaunt their corruption for all to see. You know, uh, I've joined Twitter again because it now has a free speech. Um, uh, you know, Elon Musk bought Twitter, and his stated goal is to make free speech, free legal speech, a guiding principle for Twitter. Well, that's all right with me. But, you know, Twitter has recently come out with these, um, Elon Musk has brought out files has showed the uh, the outright blatant corruption of that whole organization. And what do the reporters all have to say about it? Well, the reporters who were saying it was that 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 none of those things were true are now saying that it's old news. So there's no reason to report on it now because it's just old news and it don't matter. And it's just stuff that everybody knew anyway. These are the same news organizations who just months ago <clears throat> were denying these things outright. So everybody's corrupt. Everybody's corrupt. All the institutions are corrupt. All the governments are corrupt. Um, even doctors are corrupt. Scientists are all corrupt. And anybody who doesn't see it only doesn't see it because they don't want to see it.
which again is what? It's just denial. So what is the truth for the reasons about what's going on in Ukraine? Who knows? Who knows? But there are various narratives. That's my whole point of this. There are various narratives, and narratives are rooted in what? Narratives are rooted in emotion. Preference and bias, by the way, is just emotion. So back to this discussion about the narrative. Think of the narrative like this. Imagine painting a picture for me using your words. So this is not a painting you were doing on a piece of paper or a canvas. I want you to paint a picture for me using your words. So there's a cabin near a lake that you and your family used to visit when you were a child. And I want you to paint a picture for me in my head of that cabin in that lake. But now pay attention here. What is the objective of painting me this picture? The objective is not just to try to paint a factual image of for me of what the cabin and the lake look like. That's not the objective. What is the objective of this picture you're going to paint with words? The objective is to paint the picture in a way that conveys the way it feels the way it feels to be at that cabin and at that lake if I'm you and I'm six years old that's the objective what is the objective not it's not to just give me a physical description of the lake and the cabin You see, that objective would be entirely different, wouldn't it? What would be required for you to give me a physical, an accurate and factual physical description of the lake and the cabin? Think about the terminology you would not use. Warm, right? Um, uh, Inviting, right? You wouldn't use the word inviting if you're simply trying to describe for me the physical realities of this cabin in the lake. Why would you start using words like warm and inviting? Now we're starting to get into the narrative, the painting you're trying to picture paint for me. And remember what the purpose of that is? You're trying to convey to me not just the way the thing looks, but how it feels, how it feels to be there at that lake and cabin. So you start to get an idea of what the what purpose the narrative fulfills. The purpose of the narrative is to tell you how you're supposed to feel, how a thing feels. So now are you starting to understand the power of the narrative? This is not just a superficial description of things that we live with. No, the narrative includes all of the emotional elements in the story as well. So you can imagine a scene of that cabin and lake with a full, endearing 
orchestral soundtrack in the background. Soft, sweet music. Camera panning in slowly, showing a brilliant red summer sky. Lightning bugs. The sound of crickets. That red sky, by the way, is reflecting off the lake. The trees are silhouetted and the water is just red and yellow. Slight ripples in it. Dragonflies landing upon the surface of the water and fluttering off. Lightning bugs, like I say, flashing off uh, in the darkness of the woods off there on the left. The silhouette of people around a fire. Their faint voices and laughter can be heard. What am I doing? I'm trying to tell you how it feels to be at that cabin and at that lake. Not just what it looks like. How you're supposed to feel about it. So I'm not just trying to describe to you what this cabin looks like. I'm trying to describe to you how you're supposed to feel about my cabin and my lake that I'm telling you about. The narrative is emotion-based. It exists to say this thing is good, it's wholesome, it's pure, it's endearing, or the opposite of that. Think about the narratives that you've heard about the war in Ukraine. Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? How are you supposed to feel about some of them? How are you supposed to feel about the others of them? That's all narrative. It's people telling you how you're supposed to feel about things rather than them giving you a description of just the facts and letting you come to your own decisions about that sort of thing. Let's take the same scene we just described around the cabin in that lake and let's change the music. The orchestral accompaniment is no longer soft and melodic. Nope, not anymore. Now it's deep and ominous. Think Jaws. Dun 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 dun. The way you choose to describe the setting for us is with more focus on the dark woods this time. So rather than the the beautiful sky and the beautiful lake and everything, now your 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 description focuses more on the darkness of the woods. The stillness around the lake. We can still hear, still hear the faint voices of people talking and laughing around that fire, but there's also the shadow or the silhouette of somebody carrying an axe. This narrative is also emotion-based. They're both narratives, right? The first one was a narrative, and the second, and this one is also a narrative. I'm not saying one is correct and one is wrong. I'm saying they're both narrative. The purpose that they exist for is not for just description. The purpose they exist for is for narrative. How you're supposed to feel about this thing, not just how it looks. So in this case, <clears throat> the narrative exists to say this thing is bad, it's scary, it's horrifying, it's terrible. On Twitter the other day, 
somebody who dislikes the idea of freedom of expression for everybody except for people who thinks like she does tweeted the following about Elon Musk I want you to see if you can catch the narrative in action she says I don't have anything clever to say Elon's behavior is increasingly dark and there's a lot more at stake than the fate of this website did you catch the narrative in action there remember what the role of the narrative is it's not to give a fact-based description instead the narrative exists to tell you how you should feel about a thing so instead of saying Elon specifically did this and this and the result will be this and this because of this and this this person is speaking in the voice of the narrative we can identify it as such because she gives no specifics that's a dead giveaway gives no specifics whatsoever number two speaks in extremely vague terms and uses emotion words three like dark so I was curious I was curious if I challenged this this lady on the use of her words could I get her to break free from the narrative and instead engage with me in description in just plain description so I replied dark define that using intellectual not emotional terminology please well I got no reply emotional unhealth is living with the narrative inside of you yes living with the narrative means emotional unhealth Emotional health is discarding the narrative and living without it. Why is that? It's because if you're able to look upon a thing and see it in isolation from your feelings. So if you're able to look at a thing and just tell me what it is, just tell me what you see, not how you feel about it. I don't want, I don't care how you feel about it. I don't want to know how you feel about it. I want you to be able to look at it and describe it to me with no emotion attached to it. It's important that you practice doing that. It really is important that you practice doing that. Look at your parents. Describe what you see. Not just physically, but their parenting styles, their emotional states, and those sorts of things. Without the narrative, can you do that? Probably not. Probably not at this moment. You've probably not practiced it. You've probably lived your whole life being satisfied with the narrative. Emotional health is rejecting the narrative. Whether it's positive or negative, rejecting narrative, in other words, reject emotion-based conclusions. You want to be able to see a thing. Remember I told you, denial is so subtle what's our objective trying to get emotionally healthy it's to be able to look at a thing 
and to be able to see it for what it is and describe it no matter how we feel about it it's it's really it's being able to disconnect how we feel about a thing from it and just give you the the facts about it so in other words looking up on a thing seeing it in isolation from your feelings if you're able to do that there's no need for narrative if you're able to see a thing for what it really is there's no need for narrative describing a thing as it really is absent your emotional biases is not narrative that's description so that's just plain description that's the exercise can you do that are you willing to do that are you willing to practice it see how good you can get at it I have trust and faith in you that you can get very very good at it you know why because I did (laughs) and I was once a person who lived with the narrative now I reject the narrative I prefer description I'm still allowed to feel however I feel about a thing I am not allowed though to allow those feelings to cloud my ability to see is the truth of a thing narratives you know what they're great for they're great for storytelling narratives are great for storytelling they are absolutely terrible for seeing and describing reality or seeing and describing truth the narrative is denial acceptance is living a life free of the narrative remember if you can see a thing as it really is and you can describe it as it really is there's no need for narrative narrative exists to tell you how you should feel about a thing whether or not uh, that's based in fact or not you see that's the problem so we'll talk about this here in a second I'd like your mind to keep going back to the way the narrative that you live with about the nature of your parents the nature of yourself now let me share something personal with you here the narrative that I lived with for most of all of my life up until relatively recently was this my parents are good people My dad is a principled, honest person. My mom is a sensitive, compassionate person. We, our family is full of happiness and love. My parents love me and my siblings. Nothing in life will ever matter more than our family, the way we feel about each other and having each other in our lives. Why was that the narrative doing all the talking? It was the narrative because there are no facts to support any of it I'm sorry to say there are no facts to support any of it it's just a bunch of gloopity glop that my emotions desperately wished were true and so I adopted that narrative and I chose to believe it notice all the vague emotional terminology in there sensitive compassionate good love feelings happy that's all narrative 
Not anywhere in there does my narrative offer details about what my parents do that classifies them as good. What does my father do that makes him principled? What does my mother do that makes her compassionate? See, if any of this stuff were true, I should be able to easily tell you straight facts and let any listener arrive at the conclusion themselves that my father's principled, that my mom's compassionate, rather than me having to give you narrative. What's the purpose of narrative? I'm trying to tell you, with that narrative I just gave you, which is the one I lived with for real for for most of my life, the purpose of it, why does it exist? To tell you how you should feel about my family. What's the emotional view toward them that you should have? It's narrative without any supporting details. How about the my use of the word sensitive to describe my mother? It's an emotional term. It's meant to tell you my mom's a good person. She, she's somebody to be... Uh, to have soft feelings toward. Why? Because she's sensitive. Does being sensitive immediately and inherently make a person good? Not at all. Plenty of people who abuse and mistreat others are sensitive people. But just like the scene around that lake, do you remember why I am unconsciously trying to paint a picture with the narrative or what picture I'm trying to paint with the narrative? Right? Not only to myself, but to others. Remember, the narrative exists to tell you how you're supposed to feel about a thing. The scary thing about the narrative is that it needs no facts whatsoever to support it before it can exist. Ain't that something? It needs no facts to support it before it can exist. All you have to do is want to believe it. And even if all the evidence points somewhere else, you can still believe it if you're living by the narrative. Here's something to consider. Maybe something worth writing down. Have you ever stopped to think that people aren't good just because you or I care about them? Did you know that? Just because I love somebody or I care deeply about them or for them does not make them good. It seems so obvious, doesn't it? But think about it. Think about how much you love certain people in your life. Doesn't make them good. Doesn't make them good people. What makes a person a good person or not? thing makes a person good or not is their choices and actions in life combined with their genuineness or sincerity you say a person who makes mistakes does terrible makes terrible mistakes from time to time isn't necessarily a bad person 
what determines that is their genuineness or sincerity around themselves. In other words, when I'm talking about genuineness or sincerity, <clears throat> it's describing a person's willingness to examine him, himself or herself honestly and make changes when necessary. So it's not just the, the guy did a bad thing, so he's bad. That's not how it works. It's the guy did a bad thing and he don't care. He doesn't care that he did a bad thing. How do you know if a person cares? Because of what? If a person really cares who's done something bad, what do they what does a person who cares does? What or what does a good person do? A good person tries to get to the bottom of what allowed them to do that bad thing to identify it address it fix it that's what makes a good person so then the task in our lives is to look at the people in our lives and say how much of this is just narrative so I care about all these people so I've always viewed them as good but now do the facts support it and before I lose the thought, I was just talking to somebody like last week. Said, uh, we're talking about her father. Father, um, you know, she's lived, she's grown up living with a terrible emotional disorder her whole life. And she chooses to view her father as somebody very good who she loves. And at some point in our conversation I, I said you you know your father was not a good person he wasn't a good person she didn't like that it really hurt her feelings <laughs> because why because she cares deeply about her father but remember what I just got done saying our caring for a person is not what makes them good or bad people I said to her I've been talking to her for about two hours. I said to her, let me describe for some let me describe somebody to you. This person gets around your kids, gets around your children, emotionally abuses them so bad that your children grow up loathing themselves. The abuse is so bad that this person, this stranger, comes into your house emotionally abuses your children so terribly that for the rest of their lives they view themselves as unlovable they hate themselves they end up with drug addiction problems alcohol problems self-harm problems and when your children grow up and have their own children they turn around and do that to their children your grandchildren so I want you to say I want you to tell me that you would look at somebody who would walk into your house and do this to your children abuse them so severely that they can't they, it's not that they just can't love themselves it's that they can't even view themselves as lovable from that time on onward and it affects them negatively throughout their entire lives they hate themselves after this person comes into your house and abuses them so severely that they go off and your poor innocent children go on to live the rest of their lives hating themselves 
and destroying their lives because they hate themselves. Unable to take care of themselves, love themselves, enjoy life. And I said, tell me, would you, would you like that person? Would you look at that person, the man who come into your house and did that to your kids and say that that is a good person? She says, of course not. I said, that is what your father did to you. Now, when we're just looking at the facts, we disconnect ourselves from how we feel about the person and our emotional attachment to that person. If we're able to disconnect from our feelings about that person because of their relationship in our lives, and we just look at the facts, then we can start to come to conclusions about whether they're a good person or a bad person. So if you have trouble doing this in your lives, that's a good, that's a good exercise. The exercise is to take the facts of what that person has done and what they have not done. And when I talk about what they have not done, I'm talking about demonstrating any interest whatsoever in accepting the harm they've caused and identifying what allowed them to create to to harm people in that way and do their best to fix it and we look at what they have done their abuses the fallout of their abuses the harm that it has had on other people you know what you need to do is you need to if, if you're too close to the situation like we're talking about your father or something you know the narrative is my, my father's a good man my father's a good man why because I care about him you know that's, that's total horse papilla right there you can care about a person it has no bearing on whether they're a good person or not I guess that's a better way to say it your caring about a person has no bearing whatsoever on determining whether that person is a good person or a bad person has no bearing whatsoever so the job is to look at their actions their decisions the harm or the good that they have had on other people and disconnect yourself from your feelings toward your relationship you know tied into your relationship with that person how do you do that you imagine that you don't know them that's the exercise so how about uh, my mother all right I, I, I love my mother to death I care about my mother I love her but now let me forget about my mother for a second and then let me just describe to you a woman who um, unhealthily feels like she needs a man in her life so much that she's willing to allow that man to abuse her children so severely that her children grow up hating themselves for the rest of their lives it ruins their life they, can, they view themselves as just inherently defective pieces of crap and why does she do this she does this selfishly to be with a man because of what she wants she wants to be with a man 
She wants to be with that man. So for what she wants, she is willing to allow this man, and not only allow him to do this to her children, but she will take his side over the side of her children. So she's actively supporting this man and enabling him to do this to her children. And at the end of this description, you're going to tell me that that's a good woman? How is that a good woman? See, that's descriptive. That's just description, what I've just given you. Those are just the facts. Now we say, the person I just described to you is my mother. Now I go, oh, well, it's my mother. Well, because I care for her, uh, I, I need to find excuses for why she's. that's not bad of her. She's not a bad person. She can't be. She's my mother. My mother is a bad person. And I care for her. I love my mother. My love and my care do not, are not what determine whether she's a good person or not. What determines whether she's a good person or not is her actions and decisions in life combined with genuineness and sincerity. What would be the genuineness and sincerity? It would be that when I went to them and said, you, you people are very unhealthy. You, you've destroyed my life. I've lost two marriages because of you. I've lived 30, 40 years hating myself because of, directly because of the messages you folks drilled into my head and the way you made me feel and view myself as a child. Remember the second ingredient in a, in a good person? A good person is genuine. So a genuine person would say, my gosh, my gosh, are you serious? I did that to you? Well, I need to, under, I need to understand more. I need you to tell me more. How did I do that? I, I don't know, so you need to tell me. I, I, I love you. I, I would never do something like that on purpose. I, I need you to help me understand. I will do anything. I will do anything to figure this out. Understand what I did wrong. Correct it to make this right between us. What did my mother and father do? They said I was full of crap. They said I was full of crap and it was my problem. Spontaneously, these problems exist for me and it's my issue to deal with and they've got nothing to do with it and they don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. That's what my parents did. Are those the actions of a good person, of good people? No. No. And I'm certain that many in my audience also are living with the narrative that their parents are something that they are not. It's all emotional fiction. So how do you see the truth? Acceptance, which is pushing aside your feelings about a thing and not allowing your feelings to in any way cloud or collar what is right before your eyes look at the facts and to help you do that use the trick that I taught you here in this episode this week the way you do it is the way you disconnect yourself from it is you imagine it's somebody else 
It's some other children. It's some other person that you don't know. And you imagine what you, how you would feel about that person, what conclusions you would reach about them. Uh, so, you know, let's say you don't have kids. Let me just tell you, let's use this example. How would you feel about um, a woman uh, who, who mistreats the children in your neighborhood so severely, so severely, that they grow up loathing themselves, hating themselves, unable to view themselves as having any worth whatsoever? Would you say, well, that's just a, she's a beacon of goodness within our community? Of course you wouldn't. And why are you able to look at that situation without any narrative? Because you don't have any emotional involvement tied up in a relationship with this imaginary woman. But you take now that and say, well, that that is exactly, I just described exactly my own mother and the effect that her behaviors and decisions and lack of decision and genuineness and sincerity had on me. That's not a good person, no matter how much I care about her or love her or anything. The narrative. Remember, the narrative doesn't need any facts. It's not fact-based. It's storytelling-based. How you should feel about a thing. And remember, people aren't good because we care about them. That's not what determines if a person is good or not. You know, it applies to, to me, too. When I think of myself, am I applying the narrative? What is the narrative I walk around with about me, who I am, the nature of myself? Am I a good person or am I a bad person? Well, I could apply the narrative, right? The narrative could be, I'm a hero. I'm the hero of my story. I'm the good guy. But can I disconnect myself from how I wish to be and look at the facts, the truths of my life, and reach an accurate description rather than a narrative? Well, it's important that I be able to do that because, first of all, I'm going to see both good and bad things. And many of those bad things I can then address and fix and identify. What does that come down to? Genuineness. But denial would prevent me from ever seeing it in the first place. How can I fix what I'm not even allowing myself to see? To be able to get there, I have to give up the narrative. Here's the facts of my dad's life as a husband and parent. Controlling verbally, physically, and emotionally abusive to his wife and children. His children grew up hating themselves and viewing themselves as, unlo- as unlovable, incapable of loving themselves because they don't, they don't view themselves as that uh, reality being applicable to them. So it ruins their children's lives. And my, my mother selfishly chooses my father over her own children. Why? Because he feels some selfish need in her. So she wants to get what she wants at the expense of her children. That's selfishness. 
There's nothing good about that. And I love both of them, by the way. I love both of my parents. They could fix this, right? But to do that, what do they have to do? To fix it, what would they have to do? They also would have to to escape the narrative that they both live with, that they're good people, that they have nothing to fix, that they did their best, right? My old favorite line from the first season. My parents did the best they could. That's narrative. That is narrative. They did not do the best they could have done. They did the best they did, not the best they could have done. They did what they did. That's escaping the narrative. The narrative is they did the best they could have done. It's emotional, it's false, it's a lie, it's denial. Um, so again, just take that one thing I said about you know, if you want to imagine any man out there, some total stranger, treating your own children in the ways that you were treated, abusing them and causing the effects on them the same as the effects and the abuse that you were dealt with by people who were supposed to protect you from those things. You imagine that as just some, out, some stranger out there does that to your kids. How you would classify that person? Would you classify them as good or as bad? We know the answer to that. So there's no explanation whatsoever be, beyond denial, except for denial, that you would look at your own parents who did that to you and still and continue to describe them as good if they haven't done anything to address the identify and address and fix those underlying issues that the things that uh, allowed them to act in such horrible inexcusable ways you know you wouldn't even think about it you'd say that's a bad person that's a bad man that's a bad woman but for some reason, when the facts are that you yourself grew up viewing yourself as unlovable and you now live hating and loathing yourself and that the only reason this can be true is that your own parents emotionally abused you so severely to result in that, suddenly you're not so willing to call a duck a duck, are you? It's a little harder, isn't it? Why? Because of the narrative. It goes against the false narrative. And what is narrative? It's preference. It's bias. It's what you wish were true but is not. Any other person who would do that to innocent children is bad. But not your parents, are they? Nope. Not your parents. Why? Because of feelings. <laughs> because of the narrative. The wall that we described at the beginning, which is denial, preventing you from making progress. You must escape the narrative. You must practice getting very getting expert at setting your feelings aside and being able to look and see a thing for for what it really is it's a skill that will improve your life a hundredfold now about back to this bowl of cereal i told you about so this person i was talking about when, when we're talking about this and i'm telling her you know your father you know, everything you're describing to me this is not a good person father's not a good person your mother's not a good person she can't see it. Why can't she see it? Because she loves her father and her mother. And she even broke down in tears at one point, which broke my heart, by the way. 
she broke down in tears. She says, you, you can't expect me to hate my father. I can't do it. That was interesting because at no point in the conversation was I telling her she had to hate her father. What was the what was our conversation about? Our conversation was about whether he was a good per, he was a good person or a bad person. So where did she get I'm telling her that she has to hate her father from he's a bad person? Think about if you and I were having that conversation. And I'm telling you, your, your father is not a good person. He's not a good person. If he's still alive, he could become a good person. But everything you're telling me right now, this is not a good man. And you hear, I love my father and that's wrong. Right? That's what's going on in, inside the, the lady I was talking to. I, she, There's a conflict inside of her. The conflict is what I'm saying, which is just the truth, coming up against the narrative, which is preference. It's, it's fictional preference. So these two things clash, and she says to herself, inside of herself, this means if I, if I am to accept this, if I am to accept that my father is not a good person, it means I have to hate him. Right? And that is not true. That is a, a logical fallacy. Th those two things are not at, at all one and the same thing. Admitting that your parents are bad people is not the same as saying you have to hate them. It conflicts, by, if you think about it, it completely conflicts with the, a, a primary tenet of my work that feelings are not good or bad, right or wrong. If feelings are neither right or wrong, good or bad, then it means you can't be feeling the wrong thing, right? So what, do you not see the conflict there? That if you're hearing me say your parent, your, your, the parent you're describing to me is not a good person, and you're going, well, then I'm feeling the wrong thing. I'm feeling the wrong thing because I love my parent. And, and so what Brian's telling me, if I am to accept that, he, that my parent is not a good person, it means I have to hate him. Where does that come from? It comes from the fact that you were raised believing that feelings can, can be good or bad, right or wrong. You see, so the premise is, is wrong. You have to escape that premise. Me telling you that a person is good or bad does not mean that you can't love them. Remember, we don't get to choose what we feel. I love my parents. I sure do. And they're not very good people yet. I, I'm holding out hope that they will be. That they will make choices that will turn that around. Back to this bowl of cereal. The narrative in my head for many years was that I need my father's love. I need him to love me. I need his admiration. I need him to value my feelings. Here was kind of an epiphany for me related to that. It's true that I did need my father's love. 
It's true I did need his admiration. It's true I did need him to value my feelings. It's not true anymore. Why is that? It's because truths that relate truths that are applicable to you when you were a child are not all the same truths that are truths that are applicable to you as an adult. Why is that? Because as an adult you become something else. A child is a dependent. What does it mean to be a dependent? It means your needs must be provided to you. What does what state of existence does an adult exist in that children don't exist in? Adults exist in a state of independence. What does that mean? It means we can get our own needs met. We can look after and uh, take responsibility for and get our own needs met. Children can't do that. It's not that they just can't, it's that they're incapable of doing that. That's why the very nature of their existence is one of dependence. I'm not a child anymore. I don't exist in that reality anymore, in a state of dependence. I exist now in a state of independence. So, when I was a child, I did need my father's love. When I was a child, I did need my father's admiration. When I was a child, I did need him to value my feelings. But I'm not a child anymore. Whose love do I need now? Whose admiration do I need now? Who do I need to value my feelings now? As an independent adult free agent, the answer is me. The only love I need from anybody is my own. I need to love myself, and I can provide that for myself. The only admiration I need from anybody is from who or whom. It's from me. I'm independent, remember? I don't need somebody else's admiration. I need to admire myself. If I can do that, then I am meeting my needs. I'm getting my needs met. I'm meeting my own needs. Who do I need to value my feelings? I do. That wasn't true for me when I was a child. I couldn't do those things for myself. I needed the from my parents, from my dad, from my mom. Not anymore. As an ad- independent adult free agent, where I'm at in my development, my human development, means that those needs no longer need to be fulfilled from outside of myself. I can do those things for myself. And once you realize that, it's super duper liberating. I don't need those things from anybody else as long as I'm providing it from myself for myself. You see, as our state of existence changes, inherent truths that apply to us as children no longer apply to us as adults. And 
Back to the bowl of cereal. This is the way I illustrated it for the person I was talking to on the phone the other day. When you were three years old and you wanted a bowl of cereal, it's not that you just weren't trying hard enough to get that bowl of cereal um, for yourself and get yourself fed that morning uh, or any morning for, during, for breakfast. You know, say that the cereal boxes were up on a high shelf, the milk's heavy, it's in a gallon jug, right? The bowls are all up in shelves that you can't reach and so on and so forth. Um, just a few months ago, I was so shocked. My daughter said uh, she wanted some cereal. I thought she she knew how to do it. I said, go ahead, help yourself. She didn't even know how to do it. She didn't even know if the cereal goes in first, if you put in the milk first, or if you put in the milk last, or what, what to do. Nobody had ever taught her. And my daughter's seven. So I, I very patiently, honey, here, here's the way I do it. I put in the cereal, put the milk on top of the cereal. She could, she could still barely lift the, the gallon of milk. So back to this illustration, you know, you're three years old and you can't even get the cereal down off the top of the fridge. You can't even get the bowls out of the cabinet. You don't even understand how it all works because you're not there yet in your development. You need what? You need somebody else to, to prepare you a bowl of cereal. Do you need that anymore? You don't. So think about needs in that way, right? We're talking about... Whose love do I need? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a God-fearing person, so on top of just me loving myself, what I would add to that is God's love. I need God's love, which I have, and I know that I have that. Um, that would be the exception um, to what we've already talked about. But So think about love, being loved as that bowl of cereal. Who do I need for me now? to get me that bowl of cereal and prepare me that bowl of cereal. Well, now I don't need anybody to do it. I can do it for myself. I can love myself. I can provide that for myself. It's the most important truth about being an adult is knowing that you can do that for yourself now. The next part of it, of course, is learning how. And that's what I'm here for. It's what the last symptom's here for. And um, so we've run out of time. We'll talk about those sorts of things. Of course, you can learn all about that if you want to join the or um, enroll in the Last Symptom Fundamentals course. That's a two-week intensive pre-recorded course that's available over at thelastsymptom.com. I've been slowly recording brand new material for that. It's in the paid resources section of the of the of the website. And it's a, it's a two-week intensive course, very information and inside heavy. Uh, there's a free video you can watch if you go over there to thelastsymptom.com and go into the paid resources tab, go down to the, the Last Symptom Fundamentals course. There is, I think it's about a 30-minute long video, which kind of describes the nature of the course and everything like that. But uh, that would be a wonderful next step for you in learning how to be everything you need to be for yourself. Stop thinking, for example, I need my father to love me. I gave that up. Now, one thing I would like to point out is that needs, 
needs or needing a thing is worlds apart different than wanting a thing. Do I still want my father to love me? Yes, I do. But do I need my father to love me? I don't need him to. Not to be happy, take care of myself, be genuinely content. I don't need it anymore. I needed it when I was a child. Because only children need somebody else to fulfill their needs. Do I still want my father to love me? Yes, I do. But I don't need it. All right? Important clarification there. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for uh, joining us here today. I'll talk to you next week. You guys do something nice for yourselves. Take care. I love you and all.